so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is a project of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning, which is designed to help you think deeply about the pressing technology issues of the day and also to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In this episode, I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Brian Brock, who's a professor of moral and practical theology at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. We talk about ethics, philosophy, and kind of a Christian take on technology. Dr. Brock is the author of numerous books, including Christian Ethics in a Technological Age, Singing the Ethos of God on the Place of Christian Ethics in Scripture, and Disability in the Christian Tradition. He has written extensively on medical ethics, especially disability theology. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Dr. Brock, thank you so much for joining us here on Weekly Tech. To get started, can you tell us a little bit about your background and some of the interests that you have in research and writing? Uh, sure. You've kind of listed some of the work that I've done. Um, I came to that set of connections really through through medical ethics. I studied medical ethics after doing biology in, in my undergraduate studies, and I th- was thinking a little bit about going into uh, medicine and sort of veered into medical ethics. And once I got into medical ethics, I realized that I was going to need to do a lot more serious theology. And that's when I came over to the UK. So medical ethics is really the kind of entry point into both the um, disability theme. But then when I wrote on technology for my doctoral work, I realized I wanted to think more about the role of scripture and ethics. And that's kind of the cluster of things that emerged out of really thinking about how modern American medicine works. Yeah, I know one of the things that I really enjoy about your work is specifically Christian ethics in a technological age. It's kind of the way that you approach a lot of these subjects. I think often when we read kind of modern treatments or even theological treatments of technology, we jump right into the practical issues. But one of the things I think you wisely do is kind of help build out a philosophy of technology. And you do so specifically in this book through the works of Martin Heidegger, George Grant, and Michel Foucault. How do these thinkers really help us to think about the nature of technology and how technology is ultimately shaping us as a people? Um, I have a former doctoral student named uh, Michael Morelli who um, did his doctoral work on Jacques Ellul and Paul Virilio, um, who are French Christians, one a Protestant, one a Catholic. And um, that's coming out now from Lexington books. Um, but he looks at Ellul and Virilio, and as he does so, he shows how much the Cold War, after the Second World War, the, the transatlantic divide really opened up about 
the way that technology was described. So in North America, you know, the kind of industrial might of uh, really the car companies sort of poured all this war machinery into Europe and it's what won the war and it's also what made North America very rich. So what was happening in the 50s and 60s in America and the role that technology played in that was vastly different from what was going on in Europe, which um, had been devastated by all this equipment and uh, had been also, uh, Virilio highlights the way that Europe had basically been uh, become a fortress. He, he focuses on the bunkers that Hitler built all around the boundaries of uh, occupied Europe um, during the Second World War. And he tries to ask, how did technology make the Second World War function the way that it did? And how did it shape our mindset? And if you live in Europe and you're looking at all these ruined cities, you just get a quite different feel for what technology is and what it means for, for human life. So I was attracted to these three thinkers because I think looking back on it now, they went beyond the superficial idea that technology's just a tool to show how the tools we use really do change us. And that seemed theologically important to me, what, what kind of humans we're becoming as we embrace technology. Is there anything specific about Heidegger or Grant or Foucault that would be helpful for listeners to kind of understand? I think when I was reading through your work, obviously Heidegger and Grant made sense um, because a lot of their writing specifically on technology. I think with Foucault, there's some other questions kind of surrounding about why you wanted to include someone like that who may not have had direct writing on technology specifically, but obviously helps to kind of shape this understanding of technology more as a force and kind of a uh, more holistic kind of approach to technology rather than that kind of instrumental or tool-based approach? Was there anything specific in their thought that you think helps to kind of build out more of a robust philosophy of technology? Yeah, that's really a helpful uh, angle to probe. Uh, basically, Foucault's interest is in showing how the Taylor's, Taylorist system or Fordism, you know, the, the assembly line technique that allows uh, work to be broken down into small parts and then timed so that it can be sped up and more output can be created, right? So Ford's assembly line model reorganized the way we thought about work and the way that we thought about efficiency and production. And Foucault's maps how that innovation gets put onto medicine, it gets put onto um, uh, all different social domains, prisons, um, those are the ones that he focuses on, but he's showing how there's a there's a there's an evolution that happens around the the mid nineteenth twentieth century uh, of every domain basically being uh, reorganized around these assembly line pictures, um, and he says that ultimately that's a that's a, that's a sort of change in how we think about who we are and what counts as good work and and. You know, the relevance of that analysis is really obvious in the pandemic when, again, we've, we're having a kind of quantum leap forward to a world in which most labor will happen in something like uh, an Amazon dispatch warehouse um, where, where people are, are doing very atomized tasks like uh, that are structurally almost identical to what's going on in 
McDonald's or um, uh, any other fast food joints, the way the way work is put together and what counts as good work is has now been configured by essentially Ford's picture of how we should organize society. Yeah, I think we also, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the French philosopher Jacques Ellul, um, you see that kind of efficiency principle kind of come out and a lot of writings on technology and a lot of thought on technology is how technology is shaping us and kind of forcing us into this kind of efficiency model. But to zoom out a little bit, one of the things that I really appreciated about your book is kind of how you see the relationship between ethics and theology. I think often we think of, um, especially if you it came from like a state school here in the United States or a non-Christian kind of university or setting, sometimes ethics becomes these kind of esoteric questions of um, even philosophy of does this chair exist and these kind of ethical dilemmas that seem to have no real answer. And so ethics at times can seem like this disconnected kind of uh, field of study that really isn't connected or even part of our daily lived lives. Um, and then theology kind of becomes a separate kind of dogmatic discipline or systematic discipline uh, that doesn't often have a direct bearing on our life. But I think one of the things you model really well in the book is the relationship between ethics and theology. So what is that relationship between these two fields of study and how do they intersect, especially in regards to issues surrounding technology and medical advancements? I totally agree with your description of the problem of the way most English speakers learn both theology and ethics. Um, and uh, I, part of the reason I came to Europe in the first place is I was dissatisfied with that uh, balkanized way of understanding both disciplines. And I've come to see that really theology and ethics are not two fields. Um, uh, they have to be integrated. And I think it's unfortunate that the academic disciplines of systematic theology, ethics, and and what is often called pastoral or practical theology have essentially become separate disciplines. Um, that's, I don't think, at all defensible. And if I can give you an example of how I think some of these things play out, um, I have another doctoral student recently finished named Nam Vo, who um, is from Vietnam. Uh, and he wrote on youth discipleship in a in a wired age. Um, and in Vietnam, something that he occasionally see is that uh, basically the main schools are fee paying. And, you know, if kids weren't having much interaction with their families or not much oversight, they could get sucked into playing video games and they could basically drop out of school. And so he found himself as a youth minister discipling kids like this and also kids who he was trying to sort of teach the Christian faith. And he realized he wasn't going to be able to do that well unless he asked the question of how he should relate to them and their their kind of wired social media driven smartphone organized lives. And that's, I think, the sort of work that theology needs to do for pastoral reasons. But the this kind of balkanized landscape of the different disciplines means that, in effect, he was the first one even asking that question, which I think is a real indictment of uh, a lot of what goes on in even Christian publishing around uh, technology issues that, that, that there's really not any work that's been done on a question like that. I know throughout the book, you mentioned kind of the divide between 
pre-modern technologies and modern technologies in relations to Christian ethics. Um, just recently in a podcast, I was interviewing Dr. James Eglinton about his work on Herman Bavink and kind of how Bavink in many ways kind of straddled this divide between pre-modern technologies and some modern technologies. But specifically, when what are some of those differences between maybe the ways that Christians have historically understood technology in the pre-modern terms? And then when the, kind of the modern shift happens, what are some of those changes in relations to Christian ethics and theology that you think are important? Important for us to understand. Well, uh, I think probably the thing that's the same is that uh, Christians through the millennia tended to talk about technology as something which could be used to master others or could be used to further the good of others. Um, so, at the kind of moral level, that equation hasn't changed much. Um, it's really more at the Kind of philosophical or practical level that the changes happen, and I would say the computer would be the the core component of that change. And we've had an exponential growth in the power for recursive activity. In other words, um, technologies which can be told what to do and given generic instructions and can sort of go off and do it. Um, and those have gotten more and more powerful. And one of the things that I found really useful in George Grant in the first part of my technology book was his analysis of the of the 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 claim that we usually make to ourselves around technology uh, which he summarized as the computer does not impose on us the way that it should be used and he points out that if we would have told ourselves that about the car uh, which makes a certain surface plausibility we would have been self clearly self deluded because you know in America our whole infrastructure, every city is organized around the car. And so that it doesn't hold a gun to your head and make you do things is is obvious. But there are implications that come with the tools we use. And if those tools are uh, recursive, they're sort of self-directed in a in the sense that computers computers are, that that can be exponential growth in the sort of impact that they can have. Uh, I think that Adam Greenfield's book, Radical Technologies, is is really useful in examining how this how deeply something like the smartphone changes us, right? Like we used to have a pocket full of keys and tickets and money, and um, now we have something that we would be tempted to call just a tool, but it's it's dematerializing a bunch of things in our pockets and in our minds, like we, it changes our sense of place. We now know where we are all the time. We now are accessible to email or uh, you know, messaging all the time. We know that everything we do is being traced. In other words, with this object, we become people who are capable of being disabled if we lose them. Um, and I think that's only, that trajectory is only gonna get more obvious as augmented reality type programs proliferate. Yeah. 
picking up on some of the ways that Christians specifically think about technology. Obviously, Christians, we have a category of sin and understanding of our rebellion against God. And in many ways, the ways we use these tools in sinful and arrogant and prideful ways. What are some of those tendencies, sinful tendencies that accompany technology? And what advice would you give listeners as they seek to address maybe these the ways that these technologies are shaping them specifically in more self-centered or uh, sinful ways? I think this is both a youthful question to ask and a, and a hard one to answer. Um, but I've lately been thinking a lot about the direct relationship between the technological modalities of our communication with one another and sinful ways of speaking and thinking about each other. We've entered a space that's saturated with violent language and sort of ways of not listening to one another. And if if everybody is becoming more and more polarized, you are going to see eventually um, all kinds of you know real world effects. So the Martin Martin Gurry's book, The Revolt of the Public and the Crisis of Authority in the New Millennium, is a really helpful treatment of why the exponential growth in our communicating with other with one another primarily through social media is collapsing our ability to sustain the trusting speech on which modern democracy rests. And I think, and this is one of the core themes later in the theological part of um, uh, of my technology book, is that we, the church should be a place where we learn to trust one another. And we learn that fundamentally by learning to trust God's word. Um, and so I think it, church can be a resource of learning about how to speak to one another. And I think that um, it's been marked in the, I don't know, couple of decades that I've been over in the UK, how much the, the inability to communicate uh, and the kind of brutal ways that people do communicate with one another in American churches have have grown in, in that last 20 years. So that I'd say watch uh, this, watch how your tools make you talk to each other. I think that's a really important point. In your opinion, is there anything specifically unique about a Christian ethical perspective or even theological perspective on technology? And what does kind of a Christian understanding add to the ongoing conversation surrounding the nature of technology and how it's shaping us? Yeah, if you, well, I've said in the last point that um, it helps us to listen the Christian ethical perspective reminds us that we should listen to one another. And I, and a kind of associated point is that being a Christian teaches us not to instrumentalize uh, one another. If I can make a link with some of my early work, one of the problems of Christian ethics, as it's typically taught, is that, especially among conservative Christians who take the Bible seriously, they still treat it in a very technological way. They have a question of practice. I need to know what to do about X problem. And then they go to the Bible and they hunt around to extract some Christian principles, you know, a, a passage that seems to talk about it. And then they get a principle and they take that principle away to apply it to their lives. And um, the function there of that operation is to make their lives work better. Uh, and that can be described as a technological operation. Um, and their relation to scripture can be understood, therefore, as a kind of uh, a mining operation. So one thing that thinking about scripture helps us 
to see is that to be a Christian means we don't get to instrumentalize the Bible. It, we don't. It it doesn't become fuel for for our projects. Um, and behind that is the refusal to instrumentalize God. God, you know, the Scripture teaches us that we don't get to use God to back our projects. Um, if anything, God co-ops us for His projects. So technology is always constantly tempting us to instrumentalize people. And what we learn from Christian ethics is that we need to be fitted into something that God is doing for the world. Yeah, I know that's something that I kind of pick up on some of my work is specifically that technology poses a grave threat to human dignity. Um, and I think I love the way that you put that about kind of instrumentalizing one another. It's treating each other as simply kind of tools or means to an end. And you see that especially kind of in this trajectory of technology with this efficiency principle and the way that we're constantly being discipled in many ways as believers uh, towards speed and efficiency and towards connection in many ways, even shallow connection and not slowing down uh, to be able to connect with one another and have that more rich and kind of holistic relationship with one another. I know specifically in your work um, and theology and disability, you discuss disabilities from our perspective of the Christian tradition. How do you see technology kind of impacting or shaping the discussions around disabilities in the church? And how does the Christian moral tradition speak to a lot of these really important issues? Yeah, well, there's clearly a direct connection because this folk modern drive of for technological efficiency creates all kinds of problems for disabled people, um, starting with what we call prenatal testing, which precedes prenatal care. But formally speaking, if we look at it in a kind of technological sense, it's quality control. Um, and very often in the middle of the lives of people with disabilities, the only time they come up in technological discussions is when there's a new technology being offered like neural implants or body mobility suits, which may raise some significant ethical issues, but they're, they're presented in public media as helping people, disabled people, regain lost function. But if you have even a cursory knowledge of the lives of di disabled people, it'll be obvious how little big tech is um, normally interested in disabled people because they're a kind of a totally unprofitable market segment. Um, and if you know anything about uh, the impact of disability on insurance rates, you know that having a disability is distinctly treated as a liability in most domains of a, of a developed society. Transhumanism is just the end point of that whole process because it transparently sort of reaches for an ableist picture that, you know, crassly rank it, ranks uh, uh, you know, desirable bodies against undesirable bodies, right? Nobody, uh, there, there are lots of people whose lives, well, uh, what's it, Avatar, right? Like the, the main character is someone who's in a wheelchair who gets an avatar and can live a, a fulfilled life because of it, right? That's the, that's the kind of technological anthropology is to go beyond disability. So there's a lot of, uh, ways in which the Christian moral tradition helps us to see that um, the, the, the technological imagination can't really value 
disability in any sense. It has to eradicate disability. And language of sort of the war on autism is therefore should be unsurprising to us. Um, because we are almost out of time today, I do want to end on a, some book recommendations. Typically, when I have guests, especially folks like yourself, who I really respect a lot of your writing and work, I always like to pick their brain um, on a few books that maybe they're reading right now or even read recently that you would encourage listeners to pick up. And they don't have to be specifically about technology, but maybe something that's challenging you personally or kind of pushing you in your thought. I I have been on a sabbatical this past year. And one of the books that really I found very uh, important is uh, Susanna Zuboff's The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Uh, I really I feel like that sort of illumines so many things about the direction of travel in modern society. Um, and uh, I mean, her one of her core insights is that the kind of bump in organization of society that happened with the discovery of fossil fuels oil is now happening with the discovery of our relationships with one another as a mineable extractable resource and that our there's a, a kind of uh, feeding frenzy going on a reorganization of society built entirely on um, monetizing our interactions with one another. I found that a really quite penetrating and uh, important insight. Um, the other book that I think your audience might find really useful is uh, a theological book by Esther Reed called The Limit of Responsibility. The subtitle is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Ethics in a Globalizing Era. And hers is really the first theological exploration of how to begin to think about questions like our responsibility, our distant responsibility. So, you know, in a world where we all are consuming ever more batteries and will do the more we electrify our cars and other objects, there's rare earth metals being extracted that are very often mined in terribly exploitative ways halfway around the world and in ways that are ecologically very damaging. Um, those are the kind of questions that I think that are technological world opens up and which Christians haven't been thinking very well about. And uh, I think uh, Reed's really at the cutting edge of theological ethics, and she's engaging this question directly uh, in a very enlightening way. And actually went in the process of writing the book, she went to study in depth a, a mine in, in South America um, and uh, talks quite a bit about all that's entailed in our connections between directly from our smartphones to you know mines all around the world where people are working in pretty pretty uh, grueling conditions. No, that those are really interesting and uh, very helpful recommendations, especially the Shoshana Zuboff's book uh, that I found very fascinating when it came out. Of the way it's a, it's a pretty thick book. It's not something that you just flip through pretty quickly, uh, but it's so deep and just so well researched. I definitely recommend that. And we'll have both of those books in the show notes for listeners to be able to grab a copy of. Um, but Dr. Brock, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Weekly Tech. I'm really grateful for your work, especially your Christian Ethics and the Theological Age book, and the way that you kind of navigate a lot of these important issues. Um, that's something that I really notice and throughout your work, but specifically in that book on technology ethics, is that you kind of take this slow build approach as you're building up this philosophy and this ethic of technology, rather than just jumping right into some of the practical applications, which I think is really, really helpful. So thank you so much for joining us here on Weekly Tech this week. 
My pleasure, Jason. Thanks for having me along. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoy Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Dr. Brock as well as the resources that he recommended in the show notes. You can also sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing each Monday morning, which is designed to help you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as to stay up to date on the top technology news. You can subscribe at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week. Music